This is the Book Ride Podcast. I'm Jeff O'Neill. And I'm Rebecca Shinsky. And today we are talking about the most anticipated books of 2024, which really means, if you know the business, the most anticipated book through whoever has catalogs up for however long they're up. <laughs> it's like mostly <laughs> up through April and then a sprinkle yes. of May, June, July for me. And then a couple of things, especially Random House, I guess PRH, they tend to have catalogs a little deeper into the year at this point uh, going up for bigger books or things that have been on the calendar for a while. But anyway, so any this is just something insider baseball. You're reading most anticipated books of 2024. It's I saw Time, Lit Hub, The Millions as a great preview. Actually, there's a seasonal. Anything that says 2024 without the season is that we know about right now. And since yes. fall is the biggest year, it's kind of like a, a de facto, I would say, a first half preview is probably the fairest way to put it. The other things will get on our radar here. Yeah, I think that's right. We'll probably revisit this in June or July for anticipated titles of the second half mm-hmm. of the year. Some of it gets a little previewed when we start deciding which titles we're going to do book clubs of over yep. at the Patreon or happen to be you know talking about here on these new Wednesday episodes. But yeah, this is mostly my picks at least are mostly through April. And then I've got a couple May, June, July. And there will be some overlap with the Winter Draft Preview, which is available for Patreon members now. Go check it out, patreon.com slash podcast. There's a link in the show notes. Those show notes are also bookriot.com slash listen. Maybe a little bit overlap with our January It Book selection. I don't think, I tried to avoid as much as possible, but there's a couple one I couldn't go without mentioning. So there's going to be a little overlap as we're figuring out how to use every bit of the, the pig. Nose to snout, the publishing world's news. Um, snout to tail? Nose to, snout to tail. <laughs> well, nose to snout is kind of the 2024 preview. Yeah, all the way we're around, just We're yeah. kind of down to the hawks as far as we're going to get here. And then I was writing over the weekend, I wrote for the Deep Book Rights Deep Dive newsletter. I think that, yeah, it's going to come out tomorrow morning. I'll put a link in the show notes there as well, where I did sort of a, here are the six things that go into an it book, right? Here are the kind of the six vectors mm-hmm. we talk about that you and I have talked about. And this is one of them, I guess. At this point, it is, I'm calling it industry signal is what I described it there. Yes. It's somewhat different than Buzz. It is the things that we're being told about a book before it comes out. And I have not read any of the books I'm going to mention. I have read a couple of January titles, but I haven't read any of these books I'm going to mention because I am still anticipating them. I guess, to use the strict sense of the definition. (laughs) I like that strict sense of the definition. I have read one of my most anticipated books of the season, and I will just shout out The Waters by Bonnie Jo Campbell, because Mm. we talked about it last week. Uh, But that's otherwise the same goes, yes, out today on the 9th. You can read an excerpt at Book Ride if you missed that last week. But otherwise, same goes for me. I have not read anything else that I'm going to be talking about today. So. Okay, there are no particular order. We didn't tell each other how many to pick. We're going to get through as many as we can. By necessity, we will be reading synopses and giving our own vibes. (laughs) Because, like I said, we have not read these books. I also am making no promise that I will read these books. I will certainly read some of them. I would love to read all of them. The truth is I'll probably get to 70-ish percent of these titles right now. And then other people pop up I want to read. 
exactly. I hope I get to 60, 70% of them. And then that's how it goes for me too. Some of them, since we're really just talking about industry signal and our own personal interest at this point, my decision, and I think your decisions get shaped by like once the buzz starts or doesn't start from actual Mm. readers, when the books are getting closer to coming out and when we start hearing not just the industry's message about them, but what, you know, people who spend their time reading books and thinking about them have determined about a book that can tip me into yes or it can if I'm on the fence and the buzz is kind of meh it can make me pause on picking something up myself if the if the talk is interesting or messy that'll make me want to pick something up and then there will be things that will be pleasant surprises that we didn't really see coming or that the Mm. industry didn't anticipate we're going to get traction and that do get traction and we pick them up out of curiosity or just it's the right moment when you're in the bookstore that's a great term I I should have used that maybe I'll go edit mine actually and and credit you because I used a claim post public mm. claim when people that actually when people start reading the book and saying stuff about it you know that's reviews that's podcasts that's Instagram posts that's whatever um, but when industry signal starts turning into a claim that's when we start to get new things to us yeah, I don't think I we're like, missing a lot of industry signal stuff frankly you and I at so. this point yeah, yeah. and I think I, I like traction because you can get traction without a claim <laughs> you yeah. can have traction because something is interesting or messy or even bad yeah. but people want to talk about it or be in on the discourse uh, so yeah go ahead you can you know you can edit I'm not sure again I'm now this is now an episode this is now an episode about my deep dive which is as we're looking for ways to spend more time together talking to you about books maybe I should have thought about this as a segment of its own we should always remember <laughs> Save it for the pod or crosstalk on the pod. I kind of distinguish industry acclaim from word of mouth, or pe- I called it mm-hmm. people are talking. This is a yeah. this is a phrase I've used with the the hit books or the hot the hot fifty list, which I should return to here pretty quick. There was a really good piece I linked to in today in books by Alexander Alter. No surprise about remarkably bright creatures being an underground mm-hmm. hit. Mm-hmm. Sold 1.4 million copies over the last couple years and has made no awards list. I don't think, you know, I think it was maybe someone's book club at some point. Was not a lot of inland and a year list, but that was reader to reader. Acclaim is more industry to industry or professional to professional or prosumer to prosumer. What you hope for is all this stuff trickles down into regular people telling each other about it. That's the point yes. of all of this, right? So I, I did distinguish between that. Anyway, some of these books okay. will turn into that. Some of those does that. I think by definition, those are the ones that are the hardest to pick. You yeah. don't know which That's ones right. that, for whatever reason, we didn't get a lot of industry signal about, become the one that, you know, like what was Kite Runner, right? And paperback mm-hmm. suddenly becomes a thing because of librarians, I guess, according to... Bless a librarian. Bless, bless a librarian. So anyway... So we're only in the pre the industry signal phase. So that's what the anticipation here. Rebecca, why don't you begin? Go okay. anywhere you want and yeah. we're just gonna go. Today's episode is brought to you by Flat Iron Books, publisher of Just Some Stupid Love Story. So in Just Some Stupid Love Story by Caitlin Doyle, Molly and Seth were best friends turned lovers until Molly ghosted Seth on the eve of their high school graduation, which is very trifling, I might add. So now they've reunited again at their high school reunion 15 years later, and they make a bet. Whoever can predict the fate of five couples before the next reunion must declare that the other is right about true love. But what is the catch, you might ask? Well, the catch is that the fifth couple is them. Dun, dun, dun. So this is a callback to the best 90s and early 2000s rom-coms. If you like When Harry Met Sally or How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, this will be right up your alley. This is also perfect for fans of romance readers of Emily Henry 
Henry, Catherine Center, and others like that. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of Just Some Stupid Love Story, for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Underlined. Haven't read a Natasha Preston thriller yet? We dare you to try. She's known for her line of chilling young adult suspense novels like The Cellar and The Fear. The New York Times and USA Today bestselling author excels at putting fear into the hearts of her readers. So her newest book titled The Dare is about five friends whose senior prank goes very, very wrong. This is a perfect graduation season read for thriller fans who can handle a good scare. The Dare is now available wherever books are sold. You can learn more about it at getunderlined.com. So again, this young adult thriller is about five friends with a prank that goes wrong. There are dark secrets, a twisty plot, and creepy I know what you did last summer vibes. So if you, you know, it's graduation season, you want to revel in that, but like make it scary. You know what I mean? Pick up The Dare by Natasha Preston. And thanks again to Underline for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters is an intimate portrait of two generations, a granddaughter and a grandmother, coming to terms with what it means to be family, Black women, and alive in a world on fire. In heartfelt lyrical prose, Mary Inez Hegler weaves an unforgettable story of the climate crisis, Black resistance, and the enduring power of family. Narrated by Janice Abbott-Pratt and written by climate justice writer Mary Anise Hegler, the Troubled Waters audiobook is available everywhere May 7th. It follows Corinne as she plans to stage a dramatic act of resistance and peels back the scabs of her family wounds and puts her safety in jeopardy. Both grandmother and granddaughter must bring their unspoken secrets into the light to find a path to healing. Known for her essays that dissect and interrogate the climate crisis, drawing heavily on her personal experience as a black woman with deep roots in the South, Mary Inez Hegler brings us her first work of fiction titled Troubled Waters. Make sure to pick it up. Thanks again to Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters, for sponsoring this episode. I've got a billion tabs open, and I think I'm just going to click on a few and talk about them in no particular (laughs) order. So my first is Legacy, A Black Physician Reckons with Racism in Medicine by Uche Blackstock. It's a memoir coming out January 23rd, so just a couple of weeks. This feels like a comp, and I see it listed in Edelweiss as a comp to The Beauty and Breaking by Michelle Harper, which came out a couple of years ago, and I really like. I love a physician memoir. I know this is something that we have in common, and not just stories about the practice of medicine, the philosophy of medicine, all of the ways that that intersects with bigger issues in our lives. But looking at where the practice of medicine sits and how it's affected by the systems and inequities in our country. Uh, And so black physicians particularly exploring that is a a thing that has been getting book deals recently, and I'm very here for it. This one also has an Abraham Verghese blurb, one of uh, like alongside the checklist manifesto. What is that guy's name? Uh, Gwande. uh, Gwande. Yes, alongside Gawande, I think those are the two signal physicians who are also writing today. Verghese in fiction, Gawande primarily in nonfiction. So interesting to see another voice rising up here. A couple of these memoirs come up every now and then, but I am seeing, we'll call it industry signal around this one. You can anticipate, you know, like some NPR segments uh, and interviews with authors for books like this. And it's something I'm increasingly interested in thinking about. So that's Legacy by Uche Blackstock coming out January 23rd. 
Cool. I'll go with nonfiction as well. We're get, this is where we're not going to pick it for it books or drafts because it'll get no one any votes except for in our hearts <laughs> and maybe with our reading hours, which is yeah, the ultimate maybe. vote, right? That's the ballot box that really matters. I'm going to pick one of the things I one of the features that I describe as going into the it books gumbo is relevance, right? It tends to be down on the list, right? It doesn't relevance actually matters a lot less than people might think when it comes to something being of the moment, but it does go into the mix. And one that is interesting to me, we both like memoirs. This is, I'm kind of bridging off here. This is called The Last Fire Season, A Personal and Pyro Natural mm. History by Manjula Martin, coming out January 16th from Pantheon. So Martin is living in Northern California in 2020 during the worst fire season on record. And it's called A Pyro Natural History and Living in the Pyrocene Era of California, meaning the fire. Era, so I am really interested to see what this is put together. Look, I try to have inoculations. I get all my shots against uh, blurbs, against comps, but there's a couple of that that get through the Onimuno system, <laughs> and one of them is H's for Hawk comps. And yes. H's for Hawk meets Joan Didio, Jen, Joan Didion in the Pyrocene. Oh hell um, yes! I, I've <laughs> caught the fever. I'm, I've, my temperature is rising. So the fire <laughs> season, the last fire season by Manjula Martin, January sixteenth. Here's one that I know is on our shared list, Beautyland by Marie Helene yeah. Martino, comes out January 16th. She is the author of House Favorite, 2 a.m. at the Cat's Pajamas. This is, I think, it promises to be another weird, wonderful little novel from her. Got a big spread in the New York Times earlier. This I week, saw that. I was, I was excited to see that. The mainstreaming of Marie Helene Bertino would Let's be a go. great thing. It is, uh, so this is a novel about a woman who was born at the moment that the Voyager 1 was launched into space, carrying the famous Golden record. Uh, she grows up like knowing that she is different somehow. She possesses knowledge of a faraway planet. The arrival of a fax machine enables her to contact her extraterrestrial relatives, beings who have sent her to report on the oddities of Earthlings. Incredible. A wise, tender novel about a woman who doesn't feel at home on Earth. I mean, come on. <laughs> Super fun. Looking forward to that. That's coming out very soon. I will be buying that with my actual dollars. Yes, No, no digital arc for me there. Um, sidebar, we have talked about the genrefication of literary fiction. Dan Sinekin in Big Fiction, that's one of his big claims. There's a new a newish book out. I can't remember the name of it right now by Xander Manchel. That's about the canonization of historical fiction um, in contemporary American letters. I think, again, a lot of this is selection bias and anecdata. I think maybe we've moved slightly beyond that into almost the Ch- China Mieville embrace of the weird. Because mm-hmm. I got a couple of these that I think do not neatly fit into genre fiction, but they are speculative. They are strange, but different. And next one on my list falls into that. I'm kind of using your, I'm reading your putts to pick my next. We can mm-hmm. kind of have little duos okay. here and there. This one's called Cory Fa Does Social Mobility by Isabel Wadener. It's coming out from Grey Wolf, February 6th. Um, Cory Fa is a writer and he hit, he wins an award and they're not, I guess it's their novel. So like, uh, pardon me for getting the pronouns wrong right away, but their novel just won the prize and the prize is called The Fictionalization of Social Evils. But okay. there, there's something weird about the actual trophy. It hovers... And it might be an alien vessel. 
So I don't know what this is about. With Freedom, Erasure, again, has been out for a while, American Fiction. Not Freedom. What am I talking about? Yellowface. I got Jonathan Franzen Mm. tab open because he's mad about birds again in California. I'm going to read that. (laughs) Mad about birds again in California would be a show title. I got a couple emails, by the way, from people lamenting the the loss of our old show title and liking the Easter egg hunt. R.I.P. Maybe we'll figure out some way to include that. But for discoverability, and I know that word, no one cares except us, people wanting, trying to get people to listen to the show, it makes way more sense if the title is intelligible about what we're actually talking about. But having said that, I am here for these bizarro, oddball, Twilight Zone meets Smothers Brothers mashups about the world Mm -hmm. of letters. I'm into this. So this, in Grey Wolf, they will publish things that other people won't, so it could be even stranger than this sounds. But I'm really looking forward to this. I don't know this author at all, but I, I'm really in the mode of, all right, let's let's take it the surrealist sword to the cultural production of books and reading that so many of us follow. So there you go. It's Corey Fod does social mobility from Isabel Wadner. Grey Wolf, February 6th. All right. I had not heard of that one. I love the discovery that happens even on these yeah. episodes where we're getting out of just the buzz and the you know the high-level stuff we've got to pick to get votes mm-hmm. on the drafts and into our own personal weirdness. And I was looking at my list last night. I'm, I think this season is really nonfiction heavy for me, and maybe that's it part of like why... like a lot of interesting nonfiction. Yeah, right it's feeling like quiet in the world of publishing this season, but I think that might be that there's not a lot of big big name fiction coming. There's a lot of interesting debut fiction. There are a couple of big name novels, but there's a lot of nonfiction that I'm interested AAA in. Triple A upmarket is what we're talking. I think that's what we're talking about when we're talking about quiet books, because anyway, upmarket slash literary, there's not, there's not yeah. the, the Ward Whitehead ing. There just, yes. there just isn't. So, we, and we anyway. just came off of a really killer yep. season. Yep. So that's hard to compete with anyway. All right. This is going to ring all of my bells at the same time. It's called Praise Song for the Kitchen Ghosts, Stories and Recipes from Five Generations of Black Country Cooks. It's by Crystal Wilkinson from Clarkson Potter coming out January 23rd. Mm. Uh, This is... Here's the slug, a legendary, a lyrical culinary journey that explores the hidden legacy of black Appalachians through powerful storytelling alongside nearly 40 comforting recipes from the, wait for it, former poet laureate of Kentucky. So... Memoirs by poets, man. Memoirs by poets, baby. (laughs) Food, a look at regional food traditions and black Southern food traditions. Uh, A couple of years ago, I came very late to the Taste of Country Cooking by Edna Lewis. Like I picked up the 50th anniversary edition uh, of that book. I've been thinking about, you know, really exploring more of the culinary traditions in the part of the world that I live in. Uh, Praise song for the kitchen ghosts. I'm, I'm ready. January 23rd. Up next for me, Julia Alvarez has a new book coming out, and whenever she has a new novel coming out, I pay attention. This one's called The Cemetery of Untold Stories, April 2nd from Algonquin, I believe. Yes, April 2nd, Algonquin. The main character, her name is Alma Cruz, and she's a novelist. Sometimes I get on and off the I want to read about writers. I guess I'm on one right now with reading about Mm -hmm. writers. And she is worried about ending up like a friend of hers or maybe just another novelist that she admires who basically got lost trying to finish her last manuscript in in all kinds of ways. She's trying to avoid that fate. And I don't know how much of this is spoiler, but it's just it's in the synopsis. So I'll, I'll paraphrase it in my own words. But she decides to start bearing her own unfinished work. The Alma Cruz, the main character oh, of the book in this cemetery. 
and then things start to happen. So I so maybe a little gothic, a little you know magical realism. We're in the in the very much the the true sense of the word here. Alvarez is a longtime practitioner of it. Sounds really interesting. Going to be beautiful writing. Going to be evocative. Going to intersect with history and historical figures of political struggle, oppression, and liberation in Central and South America. So that's the Cemetery of Untold Stories by Julia Alvarez, April second from Algonquin. Okay, I'm going to more nonfiction. I think I've mentioned this one on the show. The Other Significant Others, Reimagining mm-hmm. Life with Friendship at the Center by Raina Cohen from NPR. This is a look at individuals who span ages and religions and genders and sexual orientations who have defied convention by choosing a friend as a life partner. It's basically a you don't have to wait to live your golden girl's dreams kind of situation. Also described as a narrative on platonic partnerships and how the thrill intimacy and commitment we seek is often found through meaningful friendship. I'm really interested in this. You know, like listeners of the show know, like I'm a person with a, a long-term romantic partner, but since we don't have kids, there is extra space in my life for pursuing other kinds of relationships. Not that people with kids can't pursue their friendships, but y'all are real busy <laughs> and it's harder. Uh, and so a thing that I love about my child-free life is that I get to really center my non-romantic relationships as well. And there are a few that are so close and so central to my life that I do think of them as life partners in a way. These are people that are part of big decisions that I make that share, you know, big formative experiences and travel and difficult moments of, you know, life and aging parents and all of that stuff. Um, And I've been also, you know, thinking and reading a lot about what Vivek Murthy is calling the epidemic of loneliness that a lot of Americans are experiencing. And I think this reimagining of what our lives can and quote unquote should look like, what kinds of relationships are nourishing and how we can orient and organize our lives around something that's not just a romantic relationship or something that exists instead of a romantic relationship. I just think it's really important. I'm glad to see, you know, it's from St. Martin's Press. I'm glad to see a big publisher taking on a book Mm. like this 75,000 copy print run she works at NPR there's going to be stories I would love to see (laughs) you know put Raina Cohen on all the podcasts Pushkin let's do a heartbreak version of this get some interviews with friends and former friends yeah that would be great like audio interviews of some of the people that she features in the book that's what I'm talking about dramatic reading of late night group texts let's go yeah yes have your golden girls moment so that's the other significant others that's coming out February 13th. The only reason I didn't have that on my list is I knew it'd be on yours. I'm not kidding oh, I about appreciate that. I'm really that. interested in that. As well, uh, Rebecca is one of the great friend texters. Even as, as a, a workplace <laughs> proximate colleague, I am the beneficiary of your wonderful uh, Thank you. friendship tendrils that you keep out and extended at all times. It's <laughs> probably a less like, creepy and botanical <laughs> way to put that, tendrils. but that's what came out. <laughs> We do have a pretty fun and I think well-defined brand when we're in friend mode texting each other. That's right. I enjoy it as well. There is a good case that the only reason I want to do this segment is I have a reason to talk about reading Genesis by Marilyn Robinson because (laughs) it's not an it book candidate by any stretch of the imagination. It will win me zero votes on the draft. On the other hand... It comes out the day after my birthday. I'm really thinking oh. of it as, you know, basically God's gift to me that Marilyn Genesis is writing you. about uh, this. It's a close reading. I, I need to sit down just for a second, even <laughs> saying that out loud. I need to gather my thoughts. My vision went blurry there of Genesis, which, as you all know, is from the Bible. And it's about the making of things. I am so excited to dive into this. I wish I was already retired 
just so I could spend a long weekend or week. I guess I could, but as you said, people with children and other responsibilities, we got things to do. I'd really like to dwell with this. And, you know, mm. I will buy this in hard copy. I buy fewer things in hard copy than, than I used to. Um, but I do reserve them for things that I think I want to have and to hold and to refer to. Yes. You know, she's a she's a spiritual person, a vanishing demographic amongst the elites of the literary community. And there's a part of me still that is not religious by any stretch of the imagination, not really even barely agnostic, I guess is how you would say, but I do find the close reading and close attention considerations of important cultural document, world cultural documents and religious traditions to be fascinating and that there's something there still for the good-hearted and open-minded to discover. And Marilyn Robbins is nothing if not those things. So mm-hmm. probably my single most anticipated reading experience of the next you know, few months. I really love this for you, especially for your birthday. I left this one off my list because I I knew we shared it and I wanted to hear you talk about it. Yes. (laughs) So I'm glad. I'm glad for that. How about a little debut fiction to shake things up? Acts of Forgiveness by Maura Cheeks. This is coming from Ballantine in February, February 13th. Uh, It's a story about a black family who are grappling with how much of their lineage they're willing to unearth in order to participate in the nation's first federal reparations program. So we're going back to that lit fic that plays with speculative elements. This is an an alternate future. Uh, But what's happening here is that Americans are waiting to see whether or not the the country's first female president will pass the Forgiveness Act, which would allow black families to claim up to $175,000 if they can prove that they are descendants of slaves. And for an ambitious single mother at the center of this story, that 175,000 could be a long awaited form of redemption. Uh, but obviously, the process of trying to like dig up that kind of documentation can bring up all sorts of other things in a family. And I think this uh, fictional grappling with big controversial issues that are part of discussions about things we should do in social life, things we might do in social life. What if we passed this political thing? It's a a really creative way of imagining how to have conversations around what what a world would look like where this thing, this kind of thing occurred. I'm fascinated uh, by it. I'm glad somebody decided to write a novel imagining, you know, a particular individual experience inside Mm. of, uh, you know, a United States where not only we have a female president, but we're talking about reparations. Uh, So that's act of Forgiveness by Maura Cheeks. That's February 13th. I will see your debut fiction and match you with a pick of my own. This book is called The Ministry of Time called by mm. Kaylian Bradley. I believe, I don't know. I was looking for pronunciation. This is a May title, so it may not be out there yet. <laughs> All the attendant and supporting documents that go into publicity may not be ready, uh, though I did look from Avid Reader Press, which is an imprint of Simon & Schuster, May 7th. Debut time travel romance speculative spy thriller workplace comedy and ingeniously constructed exploration of the nature of truth and power and the potential for love to change it all i'm not going to read the whole synopsis because it's one where it's like just read the book already i mean there's a lot going on here but i will paraphrase with a comp of my own it sounds to me like bill and ted's excellent adventure meets this is how you lose the time war so i'm in like flynn Boyle from the practice to quote Jean Ralphio from Parks and Rec. Very excited for this. This there, watch for this. The industry signal. I think there's money behind this. I think Avid Reader is going to be doing a full court press on this. 
so it's already out there, but I'm very excited. I, I, I like a little, I like, let's have some fun. Let, let's goof. Let's, let's goof. Highbrow goofiness is way, way up my list of things I want to read more of. And it sounds like I might get this. So I'm really looking forward to the Ministry of Time. Highbrow goofiness. We need more of that, just in yeah. general. Just in general, right? Yeah. I'm going to do a one-two punch combo situation for my yeah, next round because I think these books really go together. This American Ex-Wife, How I Ended My Marriage and Started My Life by Liz Lenz and Splinters by Leslie Jameson. Yeah, um, I, I this American. Too. Yeah, Liz Lenz is a um, politics and culture writer. She has a great Substack if you're looking for something else to follow. Um, and she's a, a journalist and proud divorcee, uh, kind of famously, at least among her readers, during the aftermath of 2016. She was becoming increasingly progressive, and her husband was increasingly digging into the conservative uh, politics that he grew up in. And that was one of the many pieces that led to the breakup of their marriage. But she has written you know, widely and deeply about that. And this is... Uh, an explorate. This is the memoir. This is her breakup memoir. She's written a few essays. She's talked about it on podcasts. But this is not just a memoir. She also is. She's a reporter, so she's weaving in reportage, sociological research, uh, and other kinds of personal stories and elements of pop culture. Uh, she's mm. got a podcast by the same name right now, This American Ex-Wife, on which she's interviewing a different woman about their divorce on each. Oh episode. God. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the slug on the podcast is like about the hetero, the garbage fire of heterosexual marriage. Yikes. So, <laughs> it's not a great look for a lot of the straight fellas right now. And then Splinters by Leslie Jameson, also the story, the, a memoir of the end of her marriage. Jameson, one of the great essayists mm -hmm. of our time, one of the great thinkers. Her essays tend to like wander and spiral and curve back on themselves and take us to questions that we didn't know she was going to ask. I find her to be sort of in that same zone as Maggie Nelson, which we were talking about on the, the draft episode last week of can be both like really validating and very challenging. And I, I really appreciate a writer's ability to to do both of those things. Uh, and Splinters comes out February 20th. So those, that's a nice little one-two punch that come out oh. on the same day. Man. Still so many books to read, even though we don't have, I don't know. I don't, we don't, don't we have that many tentpole books? We are not going to struggle for things to, to pick we are up. Not. It's with heavy heart now today that I talk about my next pick because Joan Acosella just passed away um, yesterday. Her book of essays called The Bloodied Nightgown, which is about books. I think it collects some of the things she's written. I think there's some original piece in there. I'm not exactly sure. But Acosella, a longtime New York time, a New Yorker writer, New York, she's been all over the place. Feels like a throwback to a different era. We've lost a couple of these these particular writers this year, so I'm really looking forward. To, I'd, I'd hope to try to get her for first edition. Maybe I'll try to get her editor or someone else that can talk to me about the book and her life. But I'm really looking forward to the bloody nightgown. I, I think the what a great title. The cre I mean, come on. The creative nonfiction about books is a really robust genre. And I, it's one of those things I wish they taught more in undergraduate and frankly, graduate school literature programs, because you're not going to read a whole lot of academic stuff if you're not an English professor later in life. But you will, you will and can read stuff like this. And it can be a useful buttress to support a serious, if that's what you want, not to say this is better than anything else, but if you want a serious ongoing engagement with the idea 
with ideas and words and literary writing and art in general. This these kinds of writers to follow them across time, across publication and across interest can be really sustaining in a way. And Akasel is definitely one of those people, you know, with th- throw throw some other names in there and you've got you've got seminar leaders, remote seminar leaders to last you the rest of your life. Um, but I'm really looking forward to this one. That sounds great. How about sophomore novels? Looking forward yeah. to The Great Divide by Christina Henriquez comes out March 5th from Echo. I really enjoyed The Book of Unknown Americans when it came out in yeah. 2015. Been waiting to see something else from her. And this is a novel about the construction of the Panama Canal. 250,000 print run. And mm. the... Mm-hmm. The slug here is that it casts light on the unsung people who lived, loved, and labored there. It's said that the canal will be the greatest feat of engineering in history, but first it must be built for Francisco, a local fisherman who resents the foreign powers, clamoring for a slice of his country. Nothing is more upsetting than the decision of his son to work as a digger in the excavation. But for his son, whose upbringing was quiet and lonely, this job offers a chance to finally find connection. Uh, and then there's a few other characters that it sounds like this is going to be a carousel uh, of character perspectives. That's also something uh, that I really love in fiction. Book of Unknown Americans was a big debut when it happened. And then Henriquez uh, just kind of went quiet, been waiting to see what else. As uh, novelists do. do. I mean, I mean it takes do, a long yeah. time to make a good one. Um, right. And speaking. Jeff, you'll appreciate this. 336 pages, a very reasonable <sighs> length for especially a big it's like deal. Warm, it's novel. like warm bath. I just, it just feel, it just feels right. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. <laughs> let What's me let me you? do a blitz around through some other sophomore novels. I like this okay. because novel in you know, the novels that people haven't heard of yet can be hard to synopsis get excited about. I think you talked about on It Book of the Month or the draft. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Anita Demonte Lash Last by Zod yes. um Zodchil Gonzalez. I'm glad you're talking about that comes about out this. March fifth from Flatiron. I picked Wandering Stars. That's a, mm-hmm. the sophomore also novel from Tommy Orange calling out in February. Morningside by Tia Obrett, her mm-hmm. sophomore novel coming out. And I think, were those the ones that I had here? I think those are the sophomore novels I'm going to just name check right now, both because we've talked about them otherwise, and I don't want to use up too much more of my time on any particular one of those, because all of those you'll hear more about from the industry. And I kind of want to get to a couple things I think you may not hear as much about. So I'll, I'll give you the baton back. After yeah. That. I'm especially curious about Morningside because Tiger's yeah. Wife was such a big deal. We haven't heard from Taya Obright in a while. Yeah. 
it's going to be one to really pay attention to. Let's see where... Where do I want to go? I want to shout out. Let's do a little like businessy book power sure. round. I picked this on the winner draft, but I want to shout out Super Communicators by Charles Duhigg, How to Unlock the Secret Language of Connection. That comes out February 20th. It's about people who are good at talking to people and listening to them and finding how to how how to have conversations that create deeper connections like maybe make this a one-two punch with the other significant others and see where that gets mm-hmm. you in in terms of uh, tackling feelings of loneliness or just wanting more connection in an already connected life i'm also really keeping an eye on where did my tab go on optimal which came out today it's by daniel goleman the subtitle is how to sustain personal and organizational excellence every day goleman is the psychologist who brought us the concept and literally wrote the book on emotional intelligence and this is about ways to apply the idea of emotional intelligence, a deeper perspective on emotional intelligence at work and in our understandings of performance. So like people think about peak performance as being like these big moments where you have like a a huge big win, but burnout is really common. It's hard to find sustainable, just sustainable energy and sustainable solid performance. So they're looking here for how do you make any day a good day? And that starts with setting realistic, sustainable goals and then developing habits around them that are also sustainable so that rather than you know kind of like a steady line with a few sharp peaks on it you just have steady solid performance in the place where you want it to be this feels to me as a lot of goldman's work does as really a lot of like business and coaching management books do like the kind of thing that will have nuggets in it that are applicable not just for your working life mm-hmm. but also just for being a person like i'm sort of simmering on a piece about this maybe for the deep dive <laughs> about things i've learned in business books that are actually just good oh, for there life. you go and I think that's one of them as well. So that's optimal. The business of life. There you go. I gave you the there title. There it that's is. Your, Thank you right very there. much. You're welcome for that. You're going to, you spent a moment dwelling in a particular eddy of interest for you. I will do the same. I hope, I hope and will try to have more to say about, or more to say or more to do with both of these as part of first edition or elsewhere. Let's do a little literary nonfiction. How about The Ooh. Fine Art of Literary Fist Fighting? How a bunch of rabble rousers, outsiders, and ne'er do wells concocted creative nonfiction. So okay. this is by Lee Goodkind, who was around in the 60s for the basically, you know, the Big Bang era that gave us Didion, Tom Wolfe, James Baldwin, Upton Sinclair, Malcolm, Vivian Gornick, like this, how these people created creative nonfiction as a as a commercial genre. This didn't exist. It's hard to remember this in the 19th century, as I understand this. Mm-hmm. You'd get things like how the other half lives, but they weren't really pleasure reading, right? And I'm really interested to see this because I, I don't this there's some time incongruities I don't understand in the slug it's been a while since I did one of these courses these people also were everyday people who had different kinds of stories to tell sort of broke through some of the gatekeepings this is from Yale University Press January 23rd 304 pages you love to see it Lee Goodkin a leather clad hippie motorcyclist and former <laughs> public relations writer I just love the title, The Fine Art of Literary Fist Fighting. It sounds great, doesn't it? Yes. I do know at least three actual punches thrown from one writer to another. That might be a good deep dive piece. (laughs) I think it would. Punch your darlings, maybe? I don't know, something like that. Oh, the other one, real quick. I got one more to pair with that. It's called A Chance Meeting American Encounters. I believe this is a reprint coming out from New York Review of Books in March 
And this is about chance encounters of writers. They stumble upon each other in a coffee huh. shop or a bar, a bar or something else. You know, basically, you know, how Henry James met William Dean Howells and Sarah Norn Jewett meets Willa Cather and Mark Twain publishes Grant memoirs and W.B. Du Bois meets William James and young Helen Keller and all these kinds of things where these luminaries who have become proto or quasi-mythic were actually real meatbags running around in circles, <laughs> and it turns out you'll run into people. And it's a richer, I think these, it's a nice and pretty elegant way of bringing to sort of corporeal reality that these were flawed, interesting beings that lived on this earth and walked around, and they weren't just sort of marble statues that spat out texts every now and again that now exist on our, our libraries. So that's the A Chance Meeting, American Encounters Writers by Rachel Cohen. Living meat bags, love it. <laughs> Um, one that's really just for me I will never not read a memoir by a therapist it's and how does that make you feel everything you never wanted to know about therapy by Joshua Fletcher in the spirit of Lori Gottlieb's memoir maybe you should talk to someone which I really loved is super fun and is about both her like that book is about both her work as a therapist and her experience being in therapy. Joshua Fletcher, the author of this, hosts the self-help podcast. And this is a look kind of at the same thing, what goes on behind the closed door of a therapist's office and in their head while they are treating clients. This is structured around four client case studies. And I'm just deeply here for this there. I don't know that this is a mean girls moment. Like the limit does not exist to uh, my interest in a memoir by a therapist and all the things that therapy does in our lives, all the things that it can mean, uh, but especially that experience of being a therapist who's in therapy, I think is really fascinating. And it's good for us to hear about the the human sides of therapists as well. While you're doing one for you, I'll do one for me. I don't know what got into Gail Jones, who hadn't written in a long, or let me put it this way, clearly had been writing, but hadn't published in a long time. But over the last couple of years, Palmeiras came out, Birdcatcher came out, both were finalists for major literary awards. She has a new book coming out. This is the latest date on my list, August 20th, 2024. It's called The Unicorn Woman, and the mm-hmm. main character is a soldier coming back from World, World War II and entering, re-entering Jim Crow. This is not typically Jones's milieu, this sort of historical fiction in my memory. I haven't read everything, so I could be wrong here. And the main character is described as witty but perplexing, so I'm not sure what to do with that either. Hmm. But I am here for Jones. I will read. I'll read it. I'm going to read Jones. I'll be here every time. Coming in at a brisk 224 pages from Beacon Press. It could be anything, but it's going to be fascinating. It's going to be unlike other things that you read. So, Gail Jones, Unicorn Woman. August 20th. All right. Yeah. I'm starting to stray into past April now. <laughs> yeah. My okay. Picks later parts of the, the season. I'm holding off on a couple um, things I think you might pick. So we'll see if we get there. So okay. we're going to do a few more minutes. I cannot wait for Lies and Weddings by Kevin Kwan coming yeah, I knew, out May That was 21st. it. That was one. I was just, I almost said that one. I was like, no, Rebecca's <laughs> going to mop me up if I, if I don't spill this. <laughs> Thank you very much. I mean, it's yeah. 448 pages. So I know <sighs> you have some side eye at it. But listen, the entire Crazy Rich Asian series were long and they earned those pages. They were a great time. And really, like for, I don't know, eight years after they came out, we were answering questions for people looking for comps to the the vibe of those books. And I have not yet found something that really captures the vibe of those books. Not to mention that Crazy Rich Asians, the adaptation is one of the all-time great 
airplane movies. So he after that trilogy, Quan did a bonfire of the vanities rewrite called Sex and Vanity that like didn't really go anywhere. This looks like a return to the stuff he's really good at. A forbidden affair erupts volcanically amid a decadent Hawaiian wedding in an outrageous there we go. comedy yep. manner. Now we're talking about I don't need Hawaii's. to know anything else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a supermodel. There's a future Earl of something. There's an heiress to a hotel fortune with a royal bloodline, capital geniuses, people with billions of dollars. Knives out meets a white lotus. That's what it sounds like to me. Super, super here for it. Lies and Weddings, Kevin Kwan, May 21st, right before summer travel heats up. I'm anticipating this one. It could go either way. It's hard to know what to do with posthumous late work that didn't get published in the author's lifetime. And I, I typically don't pay a lot of attention, but if your name is Gabriel Garcia Marquez, I do. Mm-hmm. Until August is coming out March 12th from, is it Random House? Knopf, which is, of course, is yeah. one of the great imprints of, of Random House. It's short, 144 pages, so if it doesn't work, at least it'll be over quick. It's also set on the water, and the main character contemplates, contemplates men at the hotel bar. You know... Is there a name for this? We need to think of a name for this genre of hanging out in these holiday vacation liminal spaces where other mm-hmm. stuff that doesn't happen in your normal life does. And there's mostly watching. I don't know. There's there's These spaces are extremely interesting to me to, to find when people are living outside of their quotidian lives and are with other people doing the same. And it feels like the the atoms of human connection just like vibrate faster in those spaces so other things yes. can happen. So there we go. I'll do that. I left that one for you. Thank so. you very much. <laughs> All right. I'm going to stay in the zone of summer novels for a minute. The Cliffs by my girl, J. Courtney Sullivan, coming out July 16th. I don't know if there's anything better than a J. Courtney Sullivan novel in the middle of July. This mm. is Family, Secrets, Ghosts, and Homecoming set on the seaside cliffs of Maine. There's this old house. It's been long abandoned, but like that mystery is just irresistible to Jane Flanagan when she discovers it as a teenager, and then it becomes a hideaway for her to get away from her mother, who's really volatile. And 20 years later... Jane has become a a Harvard archivist and she returns to Maine following a terrible mistake that threatens her marriage and career and returns to that house and spends a summer encountering herself and maybe ghosts and maybe psychic mediums and family legacies of all kinds of stuff. J. Courtney Sullivan's book Called Maine remains one of my favorite summer novels, I think, ever. She's great at this stuff. I can't wait. I let you go long enough. I can wait no longer to select Laura Vandenberg, Vandenberg State of Paradise, coming out July 2nd. I'm just going to read one sentence from the middle of synopsis, and then I'm going to be done. (laughs) I'm going to, you can, it's right to you after this, Rebecca. But it's not just the ominous cats, her mother's burgeoning cult, or the fact that her belly button has become an increasingly deep cavern. Something is (laughs) off in the town, and it probably has to do with the Posters of missing children spread throughout the streets. What? You know, it doesn't matter. It it could be AI-generated gobbledygook, but it's Laura Vanderberg, so I am here for her Florida literary weirdness all the time. And I had not heard about this one yet since oh, it's July. So this no is a wonder very you hadn't picked it yet. I was like, why she's being awfully cagey about Laura Vandenberg for one of these. Given me a great gift today. There I'm so go. glad to learn about that one. Mm, let's see. 
kind of down to yeah how about two more each and we'll you sure okay here's a romance combo jewel me twice by cherish reed which is fans of ocean 11 and spicy rom-coms two career why why aren't there one of this every month what are we doing for real two career thieves reunite reunite for one last job and they have to put their messy romantic past behind them in order to pull off the jewel heist of the century is there any there's like really nothing better than the one last job trope (laughs) it's one of my very favorite things get the gang back together it's like the a perfect subset of the get the gang back together story and a romance I need to know nothing else. Uh, and then Book Riot contributor Susie Dumond has um, a romance coming out called Looking for a Sign. comes out in June. Uh, and it's about a newly single queer woman who has just moved to New Orleans. And in her search for a mate, a compatible match, she decides to go on a date with someone from each astrological sign. One of the... <laughs> Super fun. Uh, a little stunt situation going on in there. Yeah. Uh, Susie uh, has written for Book Riot for a long time, uh, writes a monthly feature for us where she recommends books based on your astrological signs. Incredible. Uh, and then we did a that. book. Yeah, we did a book a year or two ago called Reading the Signs uh, that built on recommendations based on your astrological signs. And Susie was one of the primary writers for that. So I have to shout those out, but come on. A romance about jewel thieves falling for each other while they conduct a heist and then a little fun play on astrology for the queer community i love both of those excellent where do i want to go (sighs) let's go off the beaten path just for a second let's do it while we're doing weird and quirky and fun this seems to be my vibe i'm all of these are catching my attention this is called the z word by Lindsay King Miller, coming out from Quirk Books in May. Packed with action, humor, sex, and big gay feelings, the Z the Z <laughs> word is the queer zombie land you didn't know you needed. Great. Wendy is trying to find her place in the queer community of San Lorenzo, Arizona after a bad breakup. But then the people around them start turning into violent, terrifying, mindless husks, which makes <laughs> things harder. <laughs> the Z word. Love it. That's one of those That's titles funny. you're like, what if it was the L word was zombies and it's called the Z word? And then you go write the thing. It's yeah. incredible. I'm looking the forward L to The L word meets The Walking Dead. <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> That's great. I'm looking now. I think my last pick, I really should have paired it uh, with the debut memoir about the, or the ah. debut uh, fiction about the family thinking about reparations. But this is uh, the new novel from Maurice Carlos Ruffin. It's called The American mm-hmm. Daughters. Comes out February 27th. That was going to be my last 27th. pick. All right, so I could go was somewhere it? else. I yeah, love yeah. this for us. Uh, a historical speculative novel about a girl who joins a sisterhood working to undermine the Confederates. Mar- Maurice Carlos Ruffin, just a super interesting thinker writes slightly weird fascinating fiction i don't really need to know anything else i'm Mm -hmm. down for this february 27th i think lastly i will select blue ruin by hari kunzru Mm -hmm. which comes out may 14th from knopf love him wrote white tears red pill gods without men and some other works this is a art school graduate who things don't go well who had a lot of promise as an artist and now is undocked in the U.S. and trying to make things work. I trust Kunzru to make this super interesting and meaningful and beautiful, clocking it at a brisk 272 pages. So books about art, books about artists, again, remains a theme that people are returning to. And I'm going to be right there with 
conundrum on this one. Okay, those are my lists. Anything else you want to name check before? Oh, I guess you, at, after the break, we're going to turn it over to a couple of our, a few of our fellow editors to talk about their books. I haven't listened to it yet. I'm going to edit this afternoon, so maybe there's overlap, maybe there's not. But stick around for that. We're trying that out. Let us know what you think of the format and this one too. Podcast at bookwrite.com. Rebecca, last words here. Anything else you want to get out of your mouth? Before hit a stop quick recording. Name check to Bianca Bosker for Get the Picture, yeah. where she learns about the world of art. Really uh, deep dive into that. I've also got my eye on How to Live Free in a Dangerous World, a decolonial memoir by Shayla Lawson. And mm-hmm. I was surprised and delighted to learn that there is a new Lev Grossman novel. I saw that King Arthur stuff, right? Yeah, Apparently. The Bright Sword coming out uh, in July. So be looking forward to seeing what he does next. Also, Joseph Earl Thomas, who wrote uh, the really difficult, beautiful memoir, Sink last year, has a a debut novel coming out this year called God Bless You, Otis Spunkmeyer. My last one, and I don't know why, we're just doing The Strange and Eventful History by Claire Massoud, coming out Mm, May 14th from Norton. Multi-generational family saga. I need nothing else. It's 448 pages. It'll Uh, be worth it. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Life General is one of the, one of the cataloging. <laughs> I always love to look at that. It's like, okay. She just right. knows things, Claire yeah, Messett. Let's go just, just let's go. <laughs> let's just tell me about life. Uh, thank you so much. I guess we'll probably return to do one of these. Yeah, I think June or July. I don't know. June, July. We will have seasonal and it books as we go. But this kind of this kind of a run through is really only a twice a year kind of a series. Thank you all so much for listening. Shoot me a podcast at bookriot.com. Check out the Patreon link in the show notes there. And stick around for some other picks that are as much a surprise to me as they will be to you momentarily. Rebecca, thank you. Have a good one. Hi, my name is Erica. I'm an associate editor here at Book Riot. I co-host the HeyYA podcast with Tears of Price. And I occasionally shimmy on over to other podcasts like SFF Yeah, etc., etc. So today, of course, I have three of my most anticipated 2024 winter slash spring releases. I had such a hard time narrowing this list down. But I think the end result is pretty banging, pretty fuego, if I do say so myself. So the first one I have is The Fetishist by Catherine Min. It was published posthumously. And honey, it is a lot. But we like a lot. I like a lot. You probably like a lot. We like a lot. So in it, you have Kyoko, a young punk band singer who is shy and also like kind of maybe plotting murder a little bit. Just a little, like, you know, she has this murder plot that she has come up with to get revenge against another musician, this white guy named Daniel. His race is relevant. I'll tell you why in a second. He is an F-boy philanderer who has a fetish for Asian women. Ew, right? So the reason she wants revenge, specifically, I mean, F-boy, but the reason she wants revenge is because of how Daniel treated her mother, and she thinks this treatment is what led her mother to an early death. So there's that. Heavy stuff. Then there's Alma, Daniel's current fiance, boothing, etc., who is, surprise, surprise, another Asian woman musician. Now, Alma is over here questioning, like, her whole life, like, she's questioning, like, all the time she's been fetishized, has she ever been loved? It's a lot. It's a lot to unpack. It's a lot to get into. And I want to get into it. Again, that's The Fetishist by Catherine Min. 
Next one I have is The Jinn Waits 100 Years by Shunam Khan. This is like Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier, but make it a jinn. Make it jinn. Make it magical. More magical. I don't know. A girl named Sana and her father moved to this formerly grand mansion off the coast of South Africa that has been home to a number of social misfits. It's the kind of place where to maintain your sanity, you have to ignore the bones in the garden. Like literally there are bones in the garden. <laughs> girl, if you want to make it, you got to just, you know, keep it moving past the bones, honey. And soon Sana discovers this room that's like stuck in time where she learns about the estate's original mistress who lived a hundred years ago. What she doesn't know is that there is a djinn in the shadows who is also learning her. Ooh, chills. Again, that's The Jin Waits a Hundred Years by Shudnam Khan. Last I have, You're Breaking My Heart by Olubemisola Rude Perkovic. This is a YA book because, again, I read a lot of YA. Hey, YA podcast. I'm not new to this. I'm true to this. But let me tell you all, this YA book gets really real. I guess all my books get really real. <laughs> I'm in my drama girl era. It's fine. But this is heads up that this talks about sibling death and grief. So in it, Harriet blames herself for her brother's death and she wishes there was a way to go back in time. So she's got like some survivor's guilt. It doesn't really seem like his death was her fault, but still, you know, how grief, how grief can develop, how it can process in us. So then there's this odd girl. She's a little eccentric, a little eclectic. She's a little different. She shows up at Harriet's school and teaches Harriet of this place beneath the New York subways where anything is possible. The question is, will Harriet be open to that? Because you know, as with everything, there are consequences. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Those are my top three most anticipated releases for the first quarter of 2024. I love to hear what y'all are most excited about. Let us know. Happy reading. I'm Vanessa Diaz, the managing editor here at bookriot.com and the co-host of both the All the Books and All the Backlist podcasts. And I'm here to talk about even more of my most anticipated books of 2024. If you're a listener to All the Books, you've probably already heard me give a list of, I think, four or five reads for this I think in our best nonfiction of 2023 episode, and I also have a few going up on the 10th in our big roundup that's going up on the site of the most anticipated reads of 2024. That's a collection of books that we're looking forward to, not just on the staff side, but from our wonderful contributors. And again, now I have three more that are coming out specifically in the spring. So there's lots of book love to go around. My first pick today is The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is a work of historical fiction set in Madrid in Spain during the Spanish Inquisition. It's the story of a young woman named Lucia, who is a scullery maid, whose magical abilities are a thing she's sort of tried to keep on the low. But then her mistress discovers that they are a thing and tries to sort of strong arm her into using those to better their position in life. And that gets them the attention of the disgraced secretary to the Spanish king, which is a bit of a problem. (laughs) Like, he is specifically trying to regain the Spanish king's favor after suffering a walloping defeat in the war against Europe. He really has a thing for this pesky English queen. And so he enlists, enlists, you know, voluntells Lucia that he needs to use her specific powers to try to get that done. 
This could prove deadly for her, especially because she's trying to conceal her identity as a Jewish woman. Because again, this is set during the Inquisition, which is obviously a very unsafe time for her. So for the purposes of safety, she enlists the help of an immortal familiar. This is ringing so many of my bells. I love historical fiction, and I love that we're getting more and more of it that is not just set like in England or during World War II, both of which are great, but there's just so much more history in so many more countries. So cannot wait to read this. Again, that is The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. My second pick is one that had me from the first few phrases of the publisher copy, and that's that it's a coming-of-age comedy and a telenovela-worthy drama. Yep, want that. <laughs> and that is Oye by Melissa Mogollon. It's the story of a young woman named Luciana. She is the baby of her big old Colombian-American family. It's her senior year of high school, and there's a lot going on in her life. Her family, as well as just South Florida residents in general, have been ordered to evacuate due to a hurricane. And so it's up to Luciana to deal with her eccentric grandmother, Abue, who is like, nope, I'm not leaving. And so, of course, the storm is the big source of danger here. But also, Abue has just been given a really, really crushing medical diagnosis. And while she's sort of decided to ignore it and instead focus on like her reputation and her looks, it has also really sent her on this personal journey and she's sort of bringing Luciana along for the ride. Awe moves into Luciana's bedroom and starts to sort of reveal a bunch of devastating secrets to her. So Luciana now finds herself in this position where she's now like playing the role of caretaker and translator and keeper of secrets. And she's relaying all of this to her older sister, Mari, who is away at college. So the structure of this just sounds so interesting. Like, oh, like we're, we're getting basically a phone call that we're all eavesdropping on that promises to be, you know, really, really funny and both, you know, touching and heartbreaking. And I just love that feel like you're just listening in on a thing. This sounds just like the like epic family drama that I love to read, so I can't wait to pick that up. And that is Oye by Melissa Mogollon. And my last pick is by someone who needs no introduction. That is Julia Alvarez, just literary titan. And the book is The Cemetery of Untold Stories. And it's literally about that. <laughs> so the main character is named Alma. She's a celebrated writer who doesn't want to end up like her friend, who was also a writer who fought so long and hard to finish her book that it like nearly ruined her life. So when Alma inherits a small plot of land in the Dominican Republic, where she's from, she has the idea of literally using that land to bury her untold stories. So she creates this graveyard for her manuscripts and her drafts and revisions. And then the characters from those stories come to life and haunt her. <laughs> and like she obviously wants them to rest in peace. They're like, no, we have beef. We want to revise and rewrite our stories. And the characters that come to light in that process are... Really interestingly, we have a doctor who fought in the Dominican underground and escaped to the U.S. There is an abandoned second wife of the dictator Rafael Trujillo. <laughs> like, there's, it's just, oh, like, magical realism in the hands of Julia Alvarez is a thing I'm always going to sign up for. So I, and, of course, you know, the cliche, I'm a reader who loves books about books. <laughs> so much to love here. That, again, is The Cemetery of Untold Stories by Julia Alvarez. And those are my three picks for my most anticipated books of 2024. This is Kelly Jensen. I'm an editor here at Book Riot and one of the co-hosts of the All the Books podcast. These are some of the books that I am most excited for this year and hope they'll excite you too. There is a little bit of everything here. And I'm beginning with the one that I've read and I think is not only unique, but a lot of fun. It's called The Suffragist Guide to the Antarctic by Yi Shun Yai. And the book is pitched either as... A Lady's Guide to Petticoats and Piracy meets Edward Shackleton in some outlets, or The Downstairs Girl meets Gary Paulson in others, and honestly, it's 
both of these. This book has a wonderful voice that strikes a balance uh, balance of humor, heart, and seriousness. There is some heavy stuff that goes on here. Content warnings in advance for attempted rape, as well as the death of animals via means of survival. So it's November 1914, and Clara is an 18-year-old American and the first woman to be part of this particular Antarctic exploration. The problem is that the ship she and the 20 other, 27 other members of her crew came in on, the Resolute, has been marooned on ice 100 miles from the continent. She and the crew need to figure out not only how to survive, but for Clara, there's even more at stake. The bulk of her shipmates believe that she's Canadian, not American, as anti-American sentiments are high at the outbreak of World War I. But even more, Clara is fighting for women's suffrage in America, trained by the radical Women's Social and Political Union in London and the UK. This book is written as if Clara is writing a survival guide to her expedition, and it offers a look at the fight for suffrage in America and in England, and how and where those rights were extended to women of color, and how the skills and training Clara might have help her and her crew survive this disastrous exploratory trip. And that is The Suffragist Guide to the Antarctic by Yi Shen Yai. And the next book I'm really excited for is One in a Millennial on Friendship, Feelings, Fangirls, and Fitting In by Kate Kennedy. I will start by saying I'm not familiar with the author or her podcast, but this book sounds like it will give me what I hope for. And a couple other books I read on the intersections of pop culture and internet culture in recent years that didn't quite do what I wanted them to do, which isn't to say they were bad, but didn't capture my experience or insights about coming of age during the late 90s and early you know, 2000s. This particular book promises to maybe offer that. Either way, I know I'm going to enjoy it because it promises to explore topics such as American Girl dolls, the feminism of the Spice Girls, AOL Instant Messenger, purity culture, and more through the lens of why pop culture moments have much bigger implications and power after they've run their course, after they've stopped being so huge in the mainstream. I have listened to a book from a podcaster before without being familiar with the show, and it was a really great experience. Maybe you want to dive into the podcast after, and I hope this does something similar. That is One in a Millennial on Friendship, Feelings, Fangirls, and Fitting In by Kate Kennedy. And the last book I want to highlight that I am especially excited for to read this year is a horror pick. It's called Sacrificial Animals by Kaylee Peterson. This is a supernatural horror grounded in Chinese mythology and set in rural Nebraska, inspired in part by Peterson's own experiences as a Chinese adoptee in the same state. So Nick has left his Nebraska childhood home as soon as he could, and he never expected his abusive father to be begging him to come back home. Nick's brother Joshua, who was also disowned by their father growing up, um, is called back as well. And the reason that his brother was disowned is because he married a woman of Chinese descent. Nick and Josh are not sure what to do, but they decide they're going to make the trip. Josh and his father begin to make a reconciliation, but Nick isn't having the same experience as his brother. And instead, Nick and Amelia, who is Joshua's wife, have hit it off and find themselves becoming intimate pretty quickly. But the closer that they grow, the more Nick suspects Amelia isn't who she says she is. This book is a story of queerness, inherited trauma, and broken families. And it 
is giving me kind of the vibes of An Ordinary Violence by Adriana Chartrand, which came out in November 2023 and was great. Like that kind of feeling is a positive thing. There's something about rural Nebraska stories that does it for me. My all-time favorite book is set in rural Nebraska, and this one has the added dimension of horror that I am so looking forward to, too. And that is Sacrificial Animals by Kaylee Peterson, and happy reading. My name is Danica Ellis. I'm an associate editor at Book Riot. I co-host the All the Books podcast, and I write the newsletter, Our Queer Shelves. And here are three of my most anticipated books out this winter-spring publishing season. The first one is An Education in Malice by S.T. Gibson, which is out February 13th. And this is one of a couple of sapphic vampire books out this year that I am so excited about. This one is written by the same author who did A Dowry of Blood, which is one of my favorite books. It's a bisexual polyamorous vampire story from the perspective of Dracula's wives, except one of them is a guy. And it's about abusive relationships and revenge, and it's so incredibly well done. And they have a new vampire book out. So obviously that is on my TBR. It's a retelling of Carmilla, which is a story I'm obsessed with. Highly recommend picking up the one edited by Carmen Maria Machado. So this is a dark academia story. It's set in St. Perpetua's College, which is a competitive and secretive girls school. Laura and Carmilla meet there and become academic rivals. They have a mentor in the professor de la Fontaine, who is also obsessed with Carmilla. And then obviously their rivalry turns into something else because I mean, Carmilla is already gay and with S.T. Gibson writing it, it's going to be even gayer. I'm so excited about this one. There's also kind of politics of the school. There's dark magic. I don't know what's going to happen, but I am on board. Another one of my most anticipated is The Absinthe Underground by Jamie Pacton. This is out February 6th. I am pretty new to the romanticy game, but when there's a sapphic romanticy, I'm going to pay attention. This one is apparently a fae heist story romanticy with a sapphic friends to lovers story and it is set in a world inspired by 1890s Paris. It looks so atmospheric. I love the cover and I am ready to hop on board the romanticy bandwagon. It's about two women who are living together and then it looks like they start dating and they need money so they decide to steal the rare art posters around the city and apparently this is inspired by real life thefts of art posters so that one sounds so fun And lastly, I have How to Live Free in a Dangerous World, a Decolonial Memoir by Shayla Lawson. 
This is by a poet and journalist talking about their experiences traveling around the world. It's a collection of essays. This looks so interesting, partly just because I love queer memoirs by people of color. I love intersectional memoirs. I feel like those are very underrepresented. And I think travel as a genre, as a book genre, is usually very white. So I think this is much needed to have a sort of travel memoir that is written from a black, queer, non-binary, and disabled point of view. This is ranging from Venice to the Netherlands to Mexico and Egypt and Portugal, and it looks like it also dives into a little bit of the history of these places too. So I'm really excited to pick that up soon, and I will probably talk about it on all the books, so you can look forward to that. So those are three of my most anticipated books out in the first few months of 2024. 